Right now, many churches are planning their budgets for the next fiscal year. You can promote your confessional Lutheran church and support the worldwide outreach of issues, etc. by becoming a congregational sponsor. When your church pledges $1,000, we'll publicize your congregation on the podcast, at our website, and in the Issues Etc. journal. Learn more on the support donate page at issuesetc.org. Don't miss your congregation's budget deadline. Become an Issues Etc. congregational sponsor. Trusts in God, a strong abode. This coming Sunday, according to the one-year lectionary, we are going to hear Jesus say, Render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. What things are God's, and how are we to render to God those things that belong to him? Greetings and welcome to Issues Etc. Coming to you live from the studios of Lutheran Public Radio in Collinsville, Illinois. I'm Todd Wilkin. Thanks for tuning us in. We'll be looking forward to Sunday morning, the 23rd Sunday after Trinity with Pastor Peter Bender. Then Clark Forsyth, co-author of the new book, Pushing Roe v. Wade Over the Brink, will join us for a history of Roe v. Wade's failure. Pastor Peter Bender is pastor of Peace Lutheran Church in Sussex, Wisconsin, and director of the Concordia Catechetical Academy. Peter, welcome back. Good to be with you, Todd. You know that this pericope, or these pericopes, often fall close to our election cycle, our civil election cycle. What's important about that? That's right. Beginning of November, we're often going to the polls, and the rhetoric just prior to is ratcheting up, you know, and Christians are often being called to arms at the ballot place. And I think that it is really easy for Christians, well-intentioned by seeing the problems in the world that we're facing. You know, uh, Roe v. Wade was overturned by the Supreme Court, and now we're seeing the backlash of this in the kinds of laws that states are enacting to quote-unquote protect abortion rights and so forth. We have a tendency to see the kingdom of God as about this world, building a utopia here, a pure state religion and so forth that is devoid of all evil and corruption and so forth. And of course, we absolutely want to serve our neighbor in love. Christians ought to be engaged in the civil sphere. They ought to be not only voting in the elections, but they ought to also be helping to shape public policy being elected to office, allowing their Christian faith to uh, govern their actions and their decisions and so forth. But it is easy for us to usurp the proper place of Christ Jesus as being at the center of our faith and life as Christians with all of the political interests that we might have. 
This Sunday, 23rd Sunday after Trinity, invariably occurs on or near our election day. So it gives us an opportunity to put our political interests and desires in proper perspective with the readings for this Sunday. Our ultimate allegiance is to Christ. And whenever our allegiance deviates from Jesus, the person of our Lord Jesus, who he is, what he has done for us, his love for us, and how that then shapes our lives for others, we get askew, and I have seen and personally witnessed many Christians shipwreck their faith when their eyes are no longer fixed clearly and exclusively on Jesus and his word as the one thing needful. And this is wonderfully expressed in the hymn of the day. It's a great choice. LSB 714, who trusts in God a strong abode, in heaven and earth possesses, who looks in love to Christ above, no fear that heart oppresses. In you alone, dear Lord, we own sweet hope and consolation, our shield from foes, our balm for woes, our great and sure salvation. Though Satan's wrath beset our path and worldly scorn assail us, while you are near, we shall not fear. Your strength will never fail us. What a great message to take with us during an election season as we're worried about our country, the nation, the problems that we face. While you are near, we shall not fear. Your strength will never fail us. Your rod and staff will keep us safe and guide our steps forever. That's what we're called to believe as Christians, even as we are fully engaged in our society and culture, out of faith in Christ and love for the neighbor. Nor shades of death, nor hell beneath our lives from you will sever. In all the strife of mortal life, our feet will stand securely. Temptation's hour will lose its power, for you will guard us surely. O God, renew with heavenly dew our body, soul, and spirit until we stand at your right hand through Jesus' saving merit. So the end of the third stanza of this hymn really gives us a great perspective. O God, renew with heavenly dew our body. So the body is not unimportant. It absolutely is important. Our body, our soul, our spirit. But all of these things are in the hands of our gracious Lord who became flesh for us, who redeemed us from sin, death, and the power of the devil by the sacrifice of his body upon the cross and by his forgiving grace puts our entire life in this world and in the kingdoms of this world in proper perspective. So I love this Sunday for what it is in itself and then how it happens to, in a lovely way, correspond to the time of the year that we find ourselves in as Americans. What is the collect for this coming Sunday? The collect moves immediately to the petition. O Lord, absolve your people from their offenses, that from the bonds of our sins, which by reason of our frailty we have brought upon ourselves, we may be delivered by your bountiful goodness. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. The Catechism says we daily sin much and surely deserve nothing but punishment. And boy, that collect really captures that from the outset. It's a plea, absolve your people from their offenses that from the bonds of our sins, which by reason of our frailty we have brought upon ourselves, we may be delivered by your bountiful goodness. 
So it places us in a long line of believers down through the ages, those who have gone before us in the faith. We, together with those who have gone before us, have offended. Our sins often shackle us. They trip us up. Our human frailty is great. We are so confident of ourselves at times only to fall flat on our face. We have brought many of the ills that are a part of our lives under which we suffer upon ourselves. Absolve your people that we may be delivered by your bountiful goodness. And I think this is a corrective thing. I mean, as I look back over the course of my life, my view about what public policy should be in the country has not been necessarily always consistent. What I thought was a good thing maybe is not such a good thing at all. The only thing that you and I, Todd, as Christians can be certain of is the Word of God. What Christ has done for us, what the Word of God proclaims to us, this is the ground of certainty. We use the Word of God in our faith. We have sanctified human reason, you could say, whereby we bring that into uh, our discussion with people of public policy and so forth. But we often err. And in our own personal lives, we can be so sure of ourselves only to realize that what we thought we should do as individuals in our personal lives was a colossal mistake. So we have brought many ills upon ourselves under which we suffer. And so what this colic does is kind of put that very earthy life into perspective, and it underscores the fact that every moment of our days as Christians must be lived from the absolution of our Lord. We are dependent upon his deliverance by his bountiful goodness, or we cannot stand in this world, nor can we endure with the peace of God that surpasses understanding, with a faith that understands that our citizenship is not of this world. Even though we are in the world, our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly look forward to the life that is to come, and that anticipates the epistle for this particular Sunday. The intro at Psalm 85, selected verses, and then a little bit of the prophet Jeremiah. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for wholeness and not for evil. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. Lord, you were favorable to your land. You restored the fortunes of Jacob. Show us your steadfast love, O Lord, and grant us your salvation. Surely his salvation is near to those who fear him, that glory may dwell in our land. Faithfulness springs up from the ground, and righteousness looks down from the sky. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. Considering all that the prophet Jeremiah witnessed and experienced, as he sometimes called the weeping prophet, you know, the impenitence and the unbelief of the southern kingdom of Judah, the unfaithfulness of so many of the kings of Judah under which he had served as a prophet and those who had gone before him, the time of his ministry at the threshold of the destruction of Jerusalem, the Jerusalem temple, at the beginning then of the Babylonian captivity of Judah, considering all of this, this antiphon from Jeremiah 29 becomes particularly comforting and hopeful. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. I mean, the whole world was falling apart around him. 
there was total chaos and anarchy in the city of Jerusalem and in the southern kingdom of Judah. Destruction was upon them. And then you have this word, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. That's either the greatest promise or it is the cruelest joke. But it is a sure and certain promise. Trust not in princes, they are but mortal. Earth-born they are and soon decay. Not are their counsels at life's last portal when the dark grave doth claim its prey. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for wholeness. I love that translation because it indicates that in the Lord we are complete and whole and we lack nothing. So it's plans for wholeness and not for evil, considering Jeremiah, even though Nebuchadnezzar is banging at the door and you have enemies within your own country and your own capital city of Jerusalem, I know the plans I have for you, plans for wholeness and not for evil. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. So with this introduction in the antiphon we pray for the lord to be favorable to our land and we can utter those prayers today as citizens of our country to restore the fortunes of jacob which pertains most especially to his promise to preserve the church according to the promise that he's made to abraham isaac and jacob and to show us his steadfast love and the gift of salvation you know god's providence in hindsight is easy to see, in foresight maybe is difficult to see, but it rests upon his steadfast love and the gift of salvation. If I have that in Christ, then the things that I in my personal life may be going through or that we together in our own particular country on the face of the earth might be going through, God in his providential care is working all things for the good of those who love him, to the good of those who have been called according to his purpose. So the promise is steadfast. Surely his salvation is near to those who fear him. And this must be the ultimate source of our comfort, to fear the Lord Jesus and to trust in him and to call upon him. Otherwise, as I said earlier, we will make shipwreck of our faith. So the Lord's faithfulness the psalmist says, springs up from the ground and his righteousness looks down from the sky. If we belong to him, then we know that the plans he has for us are for wholeness and not for evil. And so we pray and call upon the Lord and he hears and he comforts and he sustains and he grants wisdom and he grants discernment, all of those kinds of things that will come up in the Old Testament reading for the day. Pastor Peter Bender is our guest, director of the Concordia Catechetical Academy. He's helping us look forward to Sunday morning, the 23rd Sunday after Trinity. We'll get to the Alleluia verse in Psalm 115 next. How can Christians live out their faith in the church, the family, and the government? Find out in the Issues Etc. Book of the Month for November, Faith That Shines in the Culture. It's written by regular guest Dr. Alfonso Espinosa. Learn more about Faith That Shines in the Culture at issuesetc.org or by calling Concordia Publishing House 1-800-325-3040. Faith That Shines in the Culture, the Issues Etc. Book of the Month for November. 
Psalm 144.1 Blessed be the Lord my rock, who trains my hands for war and my fingers for battle. Those serving in the armed forces want LCMS chaplains. We need courageous pastors to bring the gospel and sacraments to those protecting our nation, along with wise counsel and the peace found only in Christ Jesus. If you are between the age of 26 and 43 and have a heart for ministry in the armed forces, call 314-996-1337 or email lcmschaps at lcms.org. Casting Christ's Net on the Internet. You're listening to Issues Etc. Many educational institutions are governed by the whims of culture and are increasingly hostile to the Word of God. In contrast, Faith Lutheran School in Plano, Texas, provides classical Lutheran education rooted in God's Word for students preschool through grade 12. Simply put, we equip students to stand firm in the faith through solid education focused on wisdom and virtue. We offer in-person instruction as well as live online classes for remote learning. To learn more, visit flsplano.org, flsplano.org. Mount Zion Lutheran Church in Greenfield, Wisconsin, is a congregation of those gathered by the Spirit of the Lord around His saving word and sacraments. At the center of our life together is the divine service of the risen Jesus, the Lamb of God who was slain, who takes away the sin of the world. If you are in the Milwaukee area, we invite you to share with us in our Lord's gifts of forgiveness and new life. Services are on Saturdays at 5 p.m., and Sundays at 9 a.m. For more information, visit our website at mountziongreenfield.org. Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. We are looking forward to Sunday morning according to the one-year lectionary. Pastor Peter Bender is our guest. Peter, the Alleluia verse for this coming Sunday, Psalm 115, verse 11. Alleluia, you who fear the Lord, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. Alleluia. What a wonderful image to see the Lord as both our help in every need and our shield or protection against every enemy. It is wonderful to have a good government and competent earthly rulers, but ultimately, the Lord is our help and our shield. And that lifts the burden of the temptation to despair, the kind of hand-wringing that so many Christians go through at this time of year as the government may be changing and you know, we wring our hands. What do we do? What do we do? What do we do? What if this person isn't elected and this person is elected? Well, ultimately, the Lord is our help and the Lord is our shield. So this verse ties together the concept of the fear of the Lord and trust in the Lord as the foundation for the Christian faith and life. And this theme, fear of the Lord and trust in the Lord, will be accented then in the Old Testament reading for the day, in the psalm for this Sunday, and then is therefore also an appropriate lead-in to the gospel for the day, where Jesus says, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. Let's get into that gospel reading in Matthew 22, beginning at verse 15. The Pharisees went and plotted how to entangle Jesus in his words. And they sent their disciples to him, along with the Herodians, saying, Teacher, we know that you are true and teach the way of God truthfully, and you do not care about anyone's opinion for you are not swayed by appearances. Tell us then, what do you think? 
Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But Jesus, aware of their malice, said, Why put me to the test? You hypocrites, show me the coin for the tax. And they brought him a denarius. And Jesus said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is this? They said, Caesar's. Then he said to them, Therefore render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. When they heard it, they marveled, and they left him and went away. This is the gospel of the Lord. I can't resist at the outset, you know, you hear this particular reading and you say, boy, if you were teaching a debate class, you could use Jesus as the quintessential example of how to counter your opponents. The Pharisees, together with the Herodians, come to Jesus and they feign this respect for him. Teacher, we know that you are true and teach the way of God truthfully. They didn't believe that for a minute, certainly not the Pharisees. And you do not care about anyone's opinion. They were right upon that. I mean, he doesn't look at anyone's face. That's literally what this is in the Greek. You're not swayed by their face, by their look. You are objective. You are impartial. And they were right about that, but they in no way believed that he taught the way of God truthfully. They were out to try to trap him in his words. And so it's a masterful display of a debate technique where he then says to them, show me the tax money. And they bring him a denarius. Whose likeness and inscription is this? There's no other answer but to say Caesar's. And he said to them, okay, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. The works-righteous Pharisees plotted how to entangle Jesus in his words because they believed he was a false teacher. He's out to destroy the law of Moses. And they hated him for that, and they hated him for the mercy that he showed to countless sinners whom they believed as self-righteous Pharisees were not righteous enough. They were not worthy to receive any blessing of God's grace because of their sin. When he did those kinds of things, it just wrangled them. And so they hated him. They're out to trap him in his words. There's also an element of envy on the part of the Pharisees. And, and that's seen also among the scribes and others because of the kind of following that Jesus was able to amass. I mean, people hung on his words as is so often the case, it was said about him that he taught with authority and not as the scribes and the Pharisees. The Pharisees were also extremely averse to Roman rule, and they did not accept it as legitimate. But ironically, they sent their disciples to Jesus along with the Herodians. Now, who exactly were these Herodians? The Herodians were political partisans. So there's another great uh, theme of the November season when you've got elections going on. The Herodians were political partisans who supported the dynasty of Herod the Great. Now, Herod was dead by this time, but his dynasty lived on. Herod was Edomian, which means he was of Edom or a descendant of Esau, the brother of Jacob. So Herod the Great was a political animal, you could say, he was neither pro-Rome nor anti-Rome, but pro-Herod. If he and his dynasty could maintain power or wealth or prestige, that was what he was after. And here's another irony. In a lot of ways, the Pharisees 
shared that in common with the Herodians, but for completely different reasons and for their own purposes, for their own ends. So for the dynasty of Herod, whatever was expedient to serve his political and dynastic ends was the path he took. And we see a lot of that in politics today, don't we? In the presidential election. So that continued in those who followed Herod the Great, a long line of what I like to call notorious Herods. Herod the Great served from about 37 BC to about 1 BC. Herod Antipas, his son from 1 BC to about AD 39. Herod Agrippa I, king of Judea from AD 37 to 44, who... Uh, executed James, uh, beheaded him, and then he imprisoned Peter. And it was this Herod Agrippa I, you know, when he gave this oration, oh, the voice of a god, they said to him. And he did not dissuade them from such adulation and praise. And for that, he was struck down by an angel. And then there was King Agrippa or Herod Agrippa II, king of Judea. He was the one to whom Paul made his great defense in about AD 58. So that's the dynasty of the Herods. And the Herodians were these political hacks and partisans that were aligned with Herod's political platform, you might say. So it's just interesting that the pious Pharisees were willing to collaborate with the impious Herodians. A common enemy, in this case, Jesus makes for strange bedfellows. Yet perhaps they were not so different as we might think all seeking praise and honor and power and all filled with a certain brand of self-righteousness. So the question about whether or not it was lawful in the sight of God to pay taxes could certainly lead us into a fruitful discussion about what Lutherans call the doctrine of the two kingdoms, the spiritual kingdom and the secular kingdom, and how the Christian finds himself in both kingdoms and how God is actually governing in both kingdoms. And this is an article of faith that we accept, and how we are called by God to render to Caesar, emblematic of the civil realm, the things that are Caesar's and what belongs to the civil realm, and to God, the spiritual realm, the things that belong to God's realm and this world. And all of that would be appropriate. But I think... The heart of the pericope is still the notion that Jesus is demonstrating who he is. He is demonstrating his faithfulness to the Torah of God, the law of God, the Old Testament scriptures. He has not come to destroy them, but to fulfill them. Jesus' words, his careful teaching, his faithful confession of allegiance to the Father, that we see not only in this pericope, but in the surrounding narrative of the gospel witness, it is all there to call us to faith in him, and that our ultimate allegiance is not to any government or nation or political party or ideology, but to Christ, the true King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And finally, Todd, it is the fact that that is the ultimate allegiance which Jesus called forth in his preaching that wrangled the Pharisees and that caused so many people in his day and age who didn't believe in him to want to destroy him. So 
We see this in the response of the delegation that challenged Jesus. When he answers them the way he does, when he utterly skewers them with his rhetoric, behind that is the idea that Jesus' words and teaching, his faithfulness to his Father, which will be ultimately a faithfulness unto death, commands respect and calls for faith. So they marveled at him, and then they left him, unable to challenge him, unable to gainsay anything that he had said. They were left speechless. Why? Because of who he is, for what it is that he came to do, and how all of his preaching centered in that. He didn't show partiality to anybody. He was God's man, and he was faithful to God's message, even though, in the end, it cost him his life. But it cost him his life, and the sacrifice of his life would result in the salvation of all mankind, and an establishment of a kingdom greater than any kingdom of this world, a kingdom that would never end. So, in this gospel, Jesus teaches his Christians something about the priorities for the Christian in his or her life. We are disciples of Jesus. Let us never forget that. We are called to believe in him, to worship him. And out of our faith in him, yes, we're called to love, which means we're called to engage in society, to participate in government, to use what we believe as Christians to inform the decisions we make politically, who we vote for, what things we support, to have programs like Issues Etc. that attempt to understand and grapple with the big issues facing our society and culture and impacting the Christian faith. But ultimately, our allegiance is to the Lord Jesus. So it is very important to note that we can err, as I said at the outset of our discussion today, in these matters of politics and policy. None of us is infallible when it comes to what we advocate in terms of public policy. But the infallibility for us as Christians is centered in the gospel of Jesus Christ. So it is very important that our faith and worship of Christ the study of his word, our prayers, our worship life, take first place in our lives, in how we raise our families, and in the fellowship and practice of the local congregation. And we've noted this in times past about Jesus' own life in this veil of tears. Every morning, a great while before daybreak, he went to a solitary place and prayed. In the evening, he separated himself from the congregation and spent time alone in the word of God and in prayer to his Father. These are not incidental and unimportant things, but they are foundational. If they were for him, in him being faithful to his Father, whom he loved with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength, and the love of which enabled him to then be properly faithful in love for us and sacrificing himself, if he engaged in these kinds of activities, how much more for us? So we can be zealots, if you will, for a great many noble causes, but lose our first love, which is Christ, and what he has done for us and for the world's salvation, and shipwreck our faith by so doing. Salvation is not in this world. It is in Christ. And that's the ultimate message, I would argue, of today's gospel. 
Pastor Peter Bender of Peace Lutheran Church in Sussex, Wisconsin, is our guest. We are looking forward to Sunday morning according to the one-year lectionary. This is Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. Peace Lutheran in Sussex, Wisconsin is an Issues Etc. congregational sponsor. When your confessional Lutheran church pledges $1,000 to support this worldwide outreach, we'll publicize your congregation on the podcast, at our website, and in the Issues Etc. journal Most churches are preparing their budgets right now for next year. Print a one-page informational flyer on the support donate page at issuesetc.org and request that your congregation supports Issues Etc. in 2024. When we come back, the Old Testament reading for this coming Sunday in Proverbs 8. This week on The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, we continue our study of the book of beginnings, Genesis, with Enosh to Enoch, Methuselah to Noah, corruption increasing, God speaks to Noah, and God's covenant with Noah foretold. Join me, Pastor Will Whedon, for The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, your daily 15-minute verse-by-verse Bible study on demand. Listen at thewordendures.org or your favorite podcast provider. In this wonderful month of thankfulness, we thought it would be a great time to say a huge thank you to Pastor Todd Wilkin, Jeff and their team. For almost 10 years, they have opened their broadcasts to Ad Crucem and allowed us to share our products with their listeners. Thank you to Issues Etc. And thank you, dear listeners, for all your support and patronage over these years. God bless you from Ad Crucem. That's A-D-C-R-U-C-E-M dot com. Your lifeline to the Lutheran worldview. You're listening to Issues Etc. Luther Academy provides additional theological education for our mission partners around the world, specifically pastors who are asking for additional education but do not have the necessary resources in their own church bodies. By donating to Luther Academy today, you will be supplying food, housing, books, professors, and travel for Lutheran pastors who attend our conferences. To learn more about Luther Academy and how you can donate today, visit lutheracademy.com, lutheracademy.com. Two millennia ago, Pilate uttered one of the most profound questions that we still ask in the modern era, what is truth? Many today would say that truth, like beauty, is in the eye of the beholder, or perhaps in the heart. But that's not what truth is for the Christian people of God. Truth is found in Christ alone. To learn more about the Lutheran view of truth, pick up the November issue of The Lutheran Witness. Visit cph.org witness or our website witness.lcms.org to learn more. The Lutheran Witness, helping you interpret the world from a Lutheran perspective. Welcome back. I'm Todd Wilkin. This is Issues Etc. Pastor Peter Bender is our guest as we look forward to Sunday morning, according to the one-year lectionary, the 23rd Sunday after Trinity. Peter, the Old Testament reading comes from Proverbs 8. Solomon speaks about wisdom, for wisdom is better than jewels, and all that you may desire cannot compare with her. I, wisdom, dwell with prudence, and I find knowledge and discretion. The fear of the Lord is hatred of evil. Pride and arrogance and the way of evil and perverted speech I hate. 
I have counsel and sound wisdom. I have insight. I have strength. By me kings reign, and rulers decree what is just. By me princes rule, and nobles, all who govern justly. I love those who love me, and those who seek me diligently find me. Riches and honor are with me, enduring wealth and righteousness. My fruit is better than gold, even fine gold, and my yield than choice silver. I walk in the way of righteousness, in the paths of justice, granting an inheritance to those who love me, and filling their treasuries. The Lord possessed me at the beginning of his work, the first of his acts of old. This is the word of the Lord. So the Old Testament reading deals with the subject of wisdom. Look at how it begins. For wisdom is better than jewels, and all that you may desire cannot compare with her. We're all familiar with Psalm 111, verse 10, and that's the psalm that is the psalm assigned for this Sunday. Verse 10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All those who practice it have a good understanding. His praise endures forever. The first part of that passage, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, is also quoted later in Proverbs 9, verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. Now, our Old Testament reading is Proverbs 8, so Proverbs 9 is the next chapter. The fear of the Lord, the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. So, fear, love, and trust in the Lord above all things as the beginning and foundation of wisdom is important, I believe, for understanding why Solomon in Proverbs cast wisdom in feminine language as a dear mother or bride. This is so, I would argue, because to receive is the fundamental character of Christ's bride, the church, to receive. He gives. That's fundamentally masculine in the marital relationship. He gives she receives. So wisdom, as Solomon depicts her or personifies her, is simply a reflection of that which the Lord has given. It comes from him. It is received by us. Apart from what he gives, there can be no true knowledge, understanding, insight, or wisdom. So to follow after Christ, to receive Christ, to understand all of life and what it should be and the priorities of life in this world is to understand something of Christ, who is the giver of the true wisdom. And this is the ultimate sacrifice of love for us and in what the world would call foolishness, namely Jesus Christ and him crucified. So this wisdom of Christ, to go then back to the Old Testament reading for this Sunday, is better than jewels is full of prudence and discretion, hates evil, pride, and arrogance, guides kings and princes in the way of righteousness, is better than the finest gold, and is that which God possessed in the beginning and by which he created all things. So this is why I said at the beginning, we need to occupy ourselves with the wisdom of Christ, you know, with knowing 
who he is, what it is that he has done for us. So that the word of Jesus, the one thing needful, being disciples of him, this is the only thing that can give us true prudence, wisdom, understanding, discretion, and balance our lives when we find ourselves in a world that seems to be completely unglued and full of anarchy and chaos. It's only in Christ that we find wisdom. It's only in Christ that we find truth, that we find prudence, that we find balance to our life, that we find mercy, and that we find love. And so we fear, love, and trust in God above all things, and the fear of the Lord Jesus is the beginning of wisdom. And a good understanding have all those who practice it. Pastor Peter Bender is our guest. He's director of the Concordia Catechetical Academy. We're looking forward to Sunday morning, according to the one-year lectionary. We'll get into the gradual and the psalm for this coming Sunday after this. Right now, many churches are planning their budgets for the next fiscal year. You can promote your confessional Lutheran church and support the worldwide outreach of issues, etc. by becoming a congregational sponsor. When your church pledges $1,000, we'll publicize your congregation on the podcast, at our website, and in the Issues Etc. journal. Learn more on the Support Donate page at issuesetc.org. Don't miss your congregation's budget deadline. Become an Issues Etc. congregational sponsor. Hi, my name is Rahema Kavuga, Director of Synod Relations at Lutheran Church Extension Fund. We serve the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod, and your investment with LCEF makes a world of difference. Your dollars enable LCMS churches, schools, and workers to access low-cost loans for vital ministries. Join us today at lcef.org and let's empower faith, strengthen ministries, and build a stronger LCMS community together. More topics, more guests, more Jesus. You're listening to Issues Etc. Teaching your student to read should not be complicated. Memoria Press's Phonics uses common sense and the classical approach with their First Start Reading program for the most effective and efficient way to teach your child how to read. If you're interested in learning more, visit them at memoriapress.com and use the coupon code LPR24 at checkout. Memoria Press, saving Western civilization one student at a time. Not everyone is comfortable with new technology. Dial A Podcast gives all generations of your congregation an easy way to hear your sermons or even devotionals and Bible studies. Once you've completed a simple one-time setup, we take care of the rest. All your congregants have to do is dial the number from any phone to listen to your latest podcast, all at no additional cost to them. Dial A Podcast. Extend the reach of your sermons. Get started at dialapodcast.com now. The Christian delights in God's law, but only in response to Jesus who fulfilled the law for us. In Christ, we are led to love the law of Christ, and the new man delights in keeping it, but not to be saved by it because he is already saved in Christ. Thus, the law always accuses, but it doesn't only accuse. The new man has a different relationship with the law. 
That's an excerpt from the Issues Etc. Book of the Month for November, Faith That Shines in the Culture. You'll find this book at our website, issuesetc.org, or call Concordia Publishing House and ask for Faith That Shines in the Culture, 1-800-325-3040, 1-800-325-3040. Pastor Peter Bender is our guest. We're looking forward to Sunday morning according to the one-year lectionary. The gradual and the psalm for this coming Sunday, the gradual being Psalm 44, verses 7 and 8, and the psalm is Psalm 111. The gradual reads, You saved us from our foes, and have put to shame those who hate us. In God we have boasted continually, and we will give thanks to your name forever. So the gradual confesses, You saved us. The gradual confesses that our allegiance above all other loyalties is to God, who has saved us. The God who has put to shame those who have hated and persecuted Christians, and to the God of our salvation, whom we boast and to whom we give thanks continually. So if we're fearful about the political times that we find ourselves in, in the woke ideology and the way in which Christians are canceled, how we are persecuted in the workplace and threatened in various ways. You saved us from our foes. In God, we have boasted continually. So we need to keep that confession before our eyes. It's an article of faith to do so. The Psalm is 111, and this picks up on the wisdom theme. Verse 10a is the antiphon. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All those who practice it have a good understanding. Praise the Lord. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart, in the company of the upright, in the congregation. Great are the works of the Lord, studied by all who delight in them. Full of splendor and majesty is his work, and his righteousness endures forever. He has caused his wondrous works to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and merciful. He provides food for those who fear him. He remembers his covenant forever. He has shown his people the power of his works in giving them the inheritance of nations. The works of his hands are faithful and just. All his precepts are trustworthy. They are established forever and ever to be performed with faithfulness and uprightness. He sent redemption to his people. He has commanded his covenant forever. Holy and awesome is his name. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All those who practice it have a good understanding. His praise endures forever. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit. So Psalm 111 verse 10, as we said, is the background of Solomon's catechesis on wisdom in the Old Testament reading for today and can be instructive for looking at the entire book of Proverbs. Clearly, then, this psalm indicates that the wisdom we have received, according to Proverbs 8 in the Old Testament reading, is the wisdom that comes from the Lord and is evidenced in all that he has done. So he is the fountain and source of the wisdom that he gives and then that we receive. His works ultimately are directed to the redemption of his people. So to study his works is what gives true wisdom and in which we find our greatest joy. 
For to study his works is to study him who loves us, is gracious and merciful to us, to study him who is trustworthy, who remembers his holy covenant for our redemption. So you see that in the psalm, I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. Great are the works of the Lord studied by all who delight in them. Full of splendor and majesty is his work. His righteousness endures forever. And let's name it. It's the righteousness of God in Christ in his sacrifice. His righteousness endures forever. He has caused his wondrous works to be remembered. You think of all of the acts of salvation throughout the Old Testament history that lead up to and find their fulfillment in the ultimate act of salvation in the death and resurrection of Christ. And this becomes then the assurance of his daily sustenance of his people. He provides food for those who fear him. He remembers his covenant. He has shown his people the power of his works. What comfort it is when we find ourselves in a world that is turned upside down. The works of his hands are faithful and just. They may not be faithful anywhere else, but his works, the works of his hands are faithful and just. His precepts are trustworthy. They're established forever and ever to be performed with faithfulness and uprightness. So great psalm for this Sunday as it leads us when it is prayed from the Old Testament into the epistle for the day. That epistle is Philippians three seventeen through 21. You see in this epistle the affection of the Apostle Paul for the congregation at Philippi and for those in northern Macedonia. He had formed those congregations by the grace of God and the ministry of the gospel during his second missionary journey. And when he writes Philippians, it's called one of his prison epistles. And it's in that famous epistle that he says, whatever was to my profit, I consider loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I've lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but having the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. I want to know Christ, the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his suffering. And I bring about those verses from Philippians before reading this epistle because I think understanding the context and how not only were these congregations formed by Paul's preaching of the gospel and that of Silas who was with him and then Timothy was there and Titus and Luke was involved as well, but it is the faith and love that is found in Christ Jesus, the fellowship of faith and the spirit in the hearts that they share together that bound them together. And so Philippians is one of the most intimate of all of the epistles. And when Paul says, whatever was to my profit, I consider loss compared to knowing Christ. If he had gained political office, it wouldn't have meant anything to him compared to knowing Christ. If he had gotten his political program passed for the empire, it would have meant nothing to him apart from knowing Christ and establishing those churches, the kingdom of God, where there was the fellowship of faith in Christ in the hearts of countless Jews and Gentiles all over Asia and Europe. That's what mattered most to him. So here's how the epistle for this Sunday reads. Brothers, 
Join in imitating me, and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you, and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame, with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body, by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. This is the word of the Lord. Paul calls us to imitate me, he says. And Paul's call, imitate me, sounds awfully arrogant to our ears and our sensibilities. But what Paul is extolling is the faith and life that holds fast to Christ above all things. So he says, imitate that in me and in the example that you have seen in others, whether it's me or someone else, if this is what they're doing, imitate it. This is what Paul is extolling, the faith and the life that holds fast to Christ above all things. That Jesus is our priority, to know him, to love him, to trust in him, to consider everything else a loss compared to him, is what Paul is desiring them to imitate. Many who claim to be Christians are actually, he says, enemies of the cross of Christ. Because faith in Jesus and in his atonement are not the center of their faith in life. And therefore they are devoid of the wisdom that comes from God. And they run shipwreck their faith. When the fear of the Lord Jesus is not at the center of one's faith in life, the end is, as Paul says, destruction. Their God is their belly and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. And anytime earthly things trump the heavenly things, anytime earthly things and the perspective of those things usurp setting our mind on the things above, then our life is out of balance. So the kingdom of God is not about political parties, who wins elections, or building a utopia on earth. Not that we do not serve our neighbor in love within our society as a citizen of our nation. We absolutely do. But ultimately, our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. And it's that perspective that actually enables us to properly serve our neighbor in love in this veil of tears. How would you summarize this coming Sunday in terms of law and gospel? Let's just make a couple of points. I think the law must address the false allegiance to the kingdoms of this world and the plans of our own making to bring about earthly security. Such false allegiance will not lead to peace. Such false allegiance will ultimately lead to self-centeredness. It is characterized by anger, discontent, impatience, bitterness toward the enemies of the Christian faith as opposed to a posture of love. The unique gospel for the day is the allegiance of our Lord Jesus was absolute faithfulness to his Father for us that we might find our comfort and security in Christ and the wisdom of the cross. And so his ultimate allegiance to his Father above all things is what enabled him to move outside of himself 
in the salvation of the world. And finally, our citizenship then is in heaven, and we eagerly await our Savior and the resurrection of our bodies from the dead, while he will transform us into the very image of himself for all eternity. Pastor Peter Bender is pastor of Peace Lutheran Church in Sussex, Wisconsin, and director of the Concordia Catechetical Academy. Peter, thank you for your time. Thank you, Todd. In Hour 2 of Issues Etc. on this Tuesday, November the 7th, we're going to get a history of Roe v. Wade and of its inevitable failure. Clark Forsyth, author of the new book, Pushing Roe v. Wade Over the Brink, will be our guest. Listen weekday afternoons to Pastor Todd Wilkin and guests on Issues Etc. Issues Etc. is a listener-supported program. Your financial support is vital for the continuation and expansion of this worldwide outreach. Our mailing address, Issues Etc., P.O. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. You can also donate at our website, issuesetc.org. Issues Etc., is a production of LPR, Lutheran Public Radio.